in Jesus. You are taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Has nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That it, this is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be so foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God our Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lara. Good morning. So, as you say, I am Colin. Now I'm properly dressed. It's good to have you with us this morning. Uh, my friend's dad in the UK tells a story of when he was first married to a local girl. And it was, it was from Yorkshire, so it was a very traditional setup. He went to work, and his wife would have the dinner ready on the table when he got home. So every day he would get up, uh, have his breakfast, cycle to work, do an honest day's work, then cycle home, come in, got changed, and sat down for his evening meal. So that he did this one unremarkable day. 
But he couldn't quite put his finger on it. There was something not quite right. What are you doing here, you daft thing? It was his mum. He'd gone home to the wrong house. <laughs> He'd gone to his old home where he grew up. And not the new home he was making with his wife. Uh, you see, my friend's dad, he hadn't engaged his mind. He hadn't filled it, his mind, with his new life as a married man. And so he was reverting back to his old ways. And in this morning's passage, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesians, tells us we're no longer to live as we used to live, but instead to put off our old self, to be made new in the attitude of our minds, and to put on our new self. To walk in light, not darkness. To live carefully, not as unwise, but wise. Uh, so just to catch up where we're up to, all this is picking up on, on what he said in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So to live a life worthy of the fact that the followers of Jesus are made alive in him, saved by grace. Uh, his death for us on the cross brings us forgiveness of our sins and means we're, it means, no, it means we're adopted as sons and daughters of God. Uh, and as church, here and now, our spiritual reality is that we are one in Christ. We saw that last week. So this section today is more of what it means to live in light of that as we build one another up to maturity in Christ. Okay, So let's get straight into it. First, we find out about our old self and new self, verses 17 to 24. And Paul begins with a strong command. You know, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Uh, this command for the Ephesian church not to be like the unbelievers around them, not to be like they used to be. So the church in Ephesus was, was living in, in a pagan religion-saturated society. Um, the culture they were in was basically about self-worship. I mean, it was about serving um, idols and the goddess Artemis or Diana. Um, and it was about weird um, magic and occult stuff. But that was all, all means to an end, really. A means of um, pleasing and looking after yourself. And so Paul gives a pretty withering review of how this leaves your average Ephesian unbeliever. Verse 18. They're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So the core problem of the unbelievers is hardness of heart towards God. Hardness of heart. And have a look at the results. Verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to, judge, to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed. So more and more, the hardness of their heart towards God means they just let go and do what feels good. And we know this, don't we? I mean, I've seen it in myself in the past. You do something, some sin, that you know is wrong for the first time, and you're shocked that you did it. It really gets to you. But before long, you've done it a few more times, it feels normal. And then your heart is hardened. You don't want to stop doing it. And that hardening of heart darkened our understanding 
So we found it harder and harder to even notice that there was anything wrong between us and God. But God has given to the Ephesian believers, and he's given to us a new self. A new self that is, verse 24, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So how did the Ephesians, and how do we, get from the old to the new? Or did they just try harder? Did they just follow more rules? No. The difference is knowing Jesus. Verses 20 and 21. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And that's how it's in the IAV. The ESV, I think, puts it a bit more clearly, emphatically. It's verse 20 says in that version, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Learned Christ. So all the difference comes from knowing and believing in Jesus. Because through knowing Jesus, we are now, amazingly, capable of the pattern of putting off the old, renewing our mind, and putting on the new. Okay, It's not hopeless anymore. It's not a hopeless battle. So let's just look at that plan. Put off your old self, so make a break with your past way of being, and keep that break up going. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. So that's something we do ourselves, uh, having the truth of who we are in Jesus change how we think, change our attitudes. And it's also something God does in us. So in chapter 2, verse 10, we found out we are God's handiwork, created in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So put off the old self, new in the attitude of your minds, and put on the new self. So that is living in the light of being in Christ. Um, so being made new in the attitude of your mind, that's a continual thing. That's something we are to keep doing. So our old self will keep on us with its deceitful desires, verse 22. So God will keep renewing our minds and we're to keep filling our minds with the truth about Jesus. So in this passage, thought and learning and thinking and belief, they're all wrapped up together. For our part, we can keep renewing our minds with Jesus. So just in the same way as we learned him in the first place. So we, um, we learned, verse 20, about Jesus. We heard, verse 21, about Jesus. We were taught in him. So in contrast to the unbelieving, um, darkened understanding, we can renew the attitude of our minds with the truth, truth of Jesus. So Paul's saying, Don't, you aren't who you were. You're someone else now. Before you didn't know any better. Now, as a new self, with Jesus at the center, you do, and you're empowered to be different. So be that new person, not the old one. I think all this um, helps us know how to engage with people who don't believe, who don't follow Jesus. What I see often, especially on Facebook, is people beginning the conversation with unbelievers 
with moralism. So picking up on, on a good Christian ethic, something that is right or wrong, and beginning the conversation where this rubs up against what our society thinks is okay. So at the point of guaranteed conflict. And of course, we should seek the good of society. We should stand up for Christian ethics. But if verse 18 and 19 are true, in terms of bringing about belief, moralism, moralizing, is not the place to start. Because no Christian ethic is going to make any sense at all without Jesus. The greatest need of all of us is to learn Christ, to believe and trust in him, to reconcile us to God. And no amount of doing good is going to save us. Only when we know Jesus will everything else slot into place. So putting off and putting on. Paul now turns to some practical working out at this putting off and putting on. It's our second point in your outline. So it would be easy now for me to just do a whole talk um, and make us all feel guilty and inadequate with a list of do's and don'ts. Pick up all the ethical teaching, good teaching in this passage, what we should and shouldn't do. But what I want us to notice here what's going to help us putting off our old self and putting on our new is how Paul, for each thing, gives us a gospel motivation for living this way. So he gives us a reason from our new self, from the blessings we already have in Christ. And as we join in, renewing our minds, as we think about Jesus, uh, we can come up with even more gospel motivation. So let's pick a few of them out. I've just put them in a chart. I won't go through all of them. For example, falsehood. So we don't lie. Now I could just say don't lie. It's a bad thing. So we put off don't falsehood. We put on speaking truthfully. But why? Not just because lying is, makes God angry. But out of love. Because there are, to live out our spiritual reality, which is already true, that we are one in Christ. One body. That's the gospel motivation. Uh, let's have a look at the second one. Don't sin in anger. Verse 26. Um, that's what we put off. We put on um, repairing relationships quickly. Don't let the sun go down. And why? What's our gospel motivation? Uh, so, um, don't give the devil a foothold. So don't um, give the devil a chance to take away the truth from you. And also, thinking about Jesus, so we fill our minds with Jesus, we think, well, Jesus uh, died to get rid of God's anger against us, so there's no place for anger in us. That's our gospel motivation. So you can look at the rest in your own time. Verse, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, sum up for us the gospel being our example and motivation for putting on the new self. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, Dearly loved, not slaves, dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we must look, look out for our old self in our life and put it off, but do so knowing that it's not hopeless, that we can get rid of it 
as we renew our minds and God renews our minds with Jesus. We live differently, not as slaves, but as beloved children. Not to appease an angry God, because Jesus has already done that. But out of love for God who, in Christ, did absolutely everything needed to get us into right relationship with him. So we're to put off the old, put on the new. And Paul also describes our living, a life worthy of our calling, verse 8, as we are to live as children of light. Light, not dark. That's our next point. Um, But in building this up to this point, he um, specifically addresses sexual immorality. All right? In fact, I think that whole paragraph, verses 3 to 7, is all about sexual immorality. So just some definitions. Sexual immorality here means any sexual activity that isn't between a man and a woman who are married to each other. Now, I hope you know that God invented sex, that it's a good, significant thing, that God's made specifically for within marriage. And so it's a good thing, but outside marriage becomes impure. It's not fully what it's supposed to be. And so it's improper for us people who've been made holy by God. Because we'd be shortchanging ourselves sexually, and God doesn't want that for us. Now, don't you reckon Paul, Paul had lived in Ephesus for a couple of years? Don't you think this would have come up at some point? Do you think he's never told them this before? Why go on about it now? Well, we think we live in a sort of hypersexualized society now. We're bombarded with images and ideas all the time. But these new believers in Ephesus, they were surrounded by the idea that to be enlightened, to be successful, to be good, casual sex was not just acceptable, it was expected. It was promoted as a religious activity. And part of the worship of Artemis involved having sex with temple prostitutes. So how the Ephesians were going to deal with sexual immorality was going to be a key area of challenge for putting off the old and putting on the new. So imagine you're an Ephesian struggling in life and faith. Which way are you going to turn? Hardening of heart, given over to sensuality, or transformed, putting on the new self? So this bit, I think, is Paul showing them how to put on the new self when it comes to sex. And notice he does it with a sort of comprehensive quarantining of sexual immorality. So verse 3, not even a hint. So I, here's a, there's got a photo here. Thanks, Joel. So that, unfortunately, is not Grenfell Tower from this week. But it is a tower that was covered in the same stuff. This is La Crosse Tower in Melbourne in 2014. And once this building caught fire on the outside with that same stuff that's on Grenfell Tower, the fire climbed 15 floors, 15 stories, in five minutes. It was a known high risk then. It's a known high risk now. Paul knew what a powerful and important 
thing sex is and knew what a high risk it was to the Ephesians given their culture. What a high risk there was of them falling back into being their old selves. He knew that if sexual immorality crept back into the church, it could spread quickly like that fire and destroy. So notice even talking about sexual immorality is off the agenda. Verse 4, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So this has been, Paul's been wise. He's not been prudish. He's not been like, oh, don't talk about sex. He's been wise. Because it gets, getting rid of all that kind of talk, it gets rid of all the sort of permission giving, playing down of the importance of sex language that in the end facilitates and encourages and excuses sexual immorality. It's a good approach to remaining sexually pure, recognizing that it's powerful. And the way to deal with it is it's not in the heat of the moment, but to put layers of defense in place to stop you failing in the moment. Because imagine if we let all this go at Trinity Bay. Imagine after the service now, I told you a few dirty jokes and made lewd comments. Do you think that would make it more likely or less likely that we treat sex properly? If we made it social norm amongst our young adults for um, boyfriends and girlfriends to go away on weekends, away together, alone, what effects do you think that would have on everyone else trying to make remain pure? Among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Don't be deceived, says Paul. God still cares about how he handles sex. And his wrath is coming for those who are disobedient. Verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. If you're a follower of Jesus who's lapsed and fallen into sexual sin, This verse is really frightening, isn't it? Am I going to lose my inheritance? Have I lost my salvation? Well, no, that that can't be the case. Remember chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. When you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing your redemption. That's a done deal. If you have lapsed, repent of your sin and God will be just and faithful and forgive you because you are in Christ. So verse 5 isn't about occasionally lapsing into your old self. It's about someone who gives themselves over to sensuality, promoting that as the way to live. Well, they are wrong and they won't inherit the kingdom of God. But what do we do if someone we know, someone we love, has chosen sexual immorality and that's breaking our heart? How can we help them? Verse 8 to 10 describe our walk with Jesus as living as children of light. 
So sexual ethics, all our ethics are about being light in the Lord. Jesus and his ways are, verse 9, good, right, and true. And everyone at heart wants to be good and right and true. Going against God's ways is darkness, verse 11. It's fruitless. And then verse 11 and 12, it's a bit confusing, isn't it? How can we have nothing to do with them and not mention deeds of darkness and yet expose them? Well, the answer is in verse 13. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So as we put on our new self, living out what is good and right and true, we expose evil deeds in all their ugliness. We show them up for what they are. And they become increasingly unpalatable to us. And our light becomes increasingly obvious to others. So verse 14 then is full of hope that the light of Christ may shine through us and wake up others to be saved. So just as when we learned Christ and saw his light, uh, we were brought from being dead in sin to alive in him. So as we live in, as light, we show people Christ and he can make them alive. So put off the old, put on the new, walk as children of light. And finally, be wise, not foolish. Verses 15 to 20. Excuse me. So verses 15 to 20 make it crystal clear, if it wasn't already, that living a life worthy of our calling means us pulling our finger out and getting involved, rolling up our sleeves and proactively taking charge. Verse 15 We've got to be careful to be wise. And how do we do that? So firstly, verse 16, making the most of every opportunity or making the best use of our time. Got another slide there. Did you have the wombles in Australia? So the song at the start said, making the best use of the things that we find, things that the everyday folks leave behind. This verse just reminded me of that. Making the best use of our time. In this context, I think it means making the most of every chance to put off our old self and illuminate with our light, show people Jesus, show people the ugliness and darkness as we put on the new self to overcome evil. You can take the wombles down now, thanks, Joel, I'll just distract us. Secondly, uh, so make the best use of your time. Secondly, understand what the Lord's will is. So I think people get really confused and anxious about, you know, what career should I have? Who should I get married? Who should I marry? That kind of thing. Um, We know for sure God's general will. So that is what God's will for every person is. And specifically what this will for us followers of Jesus is. And we can find that out in the Bible. 
and there's some of it in this very passage today. Um, what he wants for our particular situation, what job should I do? Well, I think we work that out with um, who should I marry, you know, that kind of finding out specifics. I think we do that with biblical principles, by praying, and with the wise counsel of mature believers. So, in other words, we build one another up in church. This Christ's body. So, make the best use of the time. Understand what the Lord's will is. And thirdly, don't get drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being drunk causes us to be out of control. So when I moved here from Manchester, I soon learned, working with ED patients at the Royal Adelaide, I might have been 10,000 miles from Manchester, but the international language of drunks is exactly the same. They think they can dance, they think they're funny, they think they're really smart. Drunkenness, you see, it means we, we lose our higher faculties. It, it, pharmacologically, it's a depressant, um, being drunk, uh, alcohol. We lose our faculties of reason, fine skill, our emotional intelligence, our balance, all sorts of things. things. So whilst this, this is a straightforward prohibition against drunkenness, Christians, you shouldn't get drunk, let's be clear. But it also helps us understand what being filled with the Spirit means. So don't be controlled by wine and hence fall into debauchery. Instead, be controlled by God and what he wants, i.e. his will, uh, which will lead to different results. So how are we filled with the Spirit? Lots of people worry about that, don't they? I think, well, we know, um, let's find out what we do know about so far about the Spirit. We know we're sealed by the Spirit, chapter 113. We know we mustn't grieve the Spirit, chapter 4, verse 30. And we are, chapter 2, verse 22, God's temple in which his spirit lives. So we must already have Holy Spirit. And it's probably, you can find commentators that will disagree with this, but it's probably best to understand this is us being filled with Christ by the Spirit. So in in, in Christ fills all, chapter 123 and 4.10, and the Spirit puts God's plan into effect, um, chapter 2, verse 22, chapter 3, verse 5, verse 16. So with the Spirit could be translated as by the Spirit. What's the upshot of all that, anyway? Being filled with the Spirit is part of being the new self God has created. So we're filled by the Spirit as God helps us fill and renew our mind, our our center of being, our center of decision with Jesus as we put off the old and put on the new. What's definitely not in view is letting go of our faculties, losing control like a drunk. This is a compare and contrast, exactly not like a drunk. Um, Not just letting go and expecting God to take us over like a puppet. And verses 19 and 20, and there are others later we'll look at next week. Verses 19 and 20 show us what the results of being filled are. Singing to one another and to the Lord songs from the heart. 
prompted to give thanks to God for everything. It's a really happy end to this passage, isn't it? It's a good life. And especially in contrast to the fruitless, insensitive darkness of how we were. So what can we take away, just to finish up? Remember that pattern. Put off the old self. Make a clean break with your old deceitful desires. Uh, which will sometimes mean some extreme quarantining. Be made new in the attitude of your mind. So fill your mind, learn, hear, be taught things of Jesus. And put on the new self, created in you by God when you believed, so that you're now able and willing to obey God. And as you walk as children of light, in wisdom, be transformed and be motivated by the gospel, by what Jesus has already done for you and in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in Jesus you have transformed us. You have made us a new self. Um, please call us out where we are um, serving our old self. And putting that on. Please uh, help us transform our minds, be renewed in our minds by filling our thoughts with things of Jesus, learning Him, being taught in Him. Please give us um, assurance of your salvation and growing as our love for you as our motivation for putting on the new self. And thank you that in Jesus, we are already fully pleasing to you. Please help your light shine through us so that others may know Christ. Amen.